This is uh, Wednesday, November 2nd, and we are back to Deuteronomy. So turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1, and we left off reading out of Deuteronomy a couple weeks ago at verse 40. So, you know, the first three chapters are basically uh, the history. And back when Moses wrote it, it would have been recent history. It'd be the past 40-year history. So when we think about things that have happened in the past 40 years in America, that's recent history. And some schools only want to talk about very recent history. They're forgetting about the history of uh, almost 250 years ago. We need, we need to study history from uh, a good ways back. I think it's critical to study the history of the Civil War and how this country almost split in two. Uh, a house divided cannot stand. And uh, the importance of all of that, what was behind all of that, I, I mean, there's all kinds of lessons to learn just from that era. Then, of course, we can go back to the Revolutionary War and all the things that happened then. I like going back to why people ever even came over to this place. The, the persecution that they were under and why they risked their lives. We were talking recently about how scary it can be just to ride out to the Gulf Stream knowing that you can call Coast Guard from the radio I mean, it can get really rough out there. It can get scary. The boat could hit something. You could sink. But think about the people in the early, early 1600s that came over on wooden boats trying to find a new land. There was no Coast Guard to call. There was nothing that could save them. They put their lives on the line to search for a better place a place for freedom, for religious freedom. And so history is important. In Deuteronomy, the, especially the first three chapters, is history. Moses is, he is reminding people. So Deuteronomy, I, I wrote down Deuteronomy at the top of the page in my notes. And then I said, uh, the book of remembrance. The Book of Remembrance. What you'll notice as you um, are reading through, if you, if you was to go through all of Deuteronomy and look for the places where it says, don't forget or forget not, and also the word remember. It's all through Deuteronomy. So it is a book of remembrance. I'll give you some examples. In uh, chapter 4, it says, Take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen. That's 4.9. Uh, then in, in verse 23 of the same chapter, it says, Take heed unto yourselves, lest 
ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God. And then in chapter 5, verse 15, it says, And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt. So it's, uh, um, lest thou forget, lest ye forget, and now we, we see the word remember. Then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. That's in chapter 6, verse 12. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness. That's uh, chapter 8, verse 2. And then uh, verse 11 Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. That's in chapter 8, verse 18. But, so what, what's better, to say forget not or to say remember? What's better? Well, in, in chapter 9 it says, Remember and forget not. <laughs> it covers them both in the same verse. Remember and forget not how thou provokedest. It's, it's not provokest, but provokedest. Past tense. And, and uh, remember, it could have said provoked. That's, uh, this one's 9-7. Remember and forget not how thou provokedest the Lord thy God to wrath, to wrath in the wilderness. Now, it's got the est on the end of that word, est. Well, there could have also been like a provoketh. So, so when people try to mock the King James Bible and they'll say, they, they'll just put the TH on the end of every word just so that would they... That's what, that's what the King James does to every word. Does it? No. Very seldom do you see est or th. Now, what is, what is the ST on the end of a word? What does that show you? It's showing you that it's second person. So Moses is talking to the nation of Israel. So the speaker is Moses, and the person being, or the group being spoken to, which would be second person, is the nation of Israel. We are just, you know, we're, we're uh, just watching it all play out. Sometimes the Word of God is speaking directly to us. Sometimes Jesus might be speaking directly to Peter, or... Jesus might be speaking to Peter about maybe the Pharisees. So the Pharisees would be third person. But then Jesus might walk over and talk to the Pharisees about Peter, then Peter becomes third person. So when you see the ST added to a word, you know exactly who's being spoken to. And then the TH at the end, that's third person, you know that whoever's speaking to the person that is being spoken to, they're talking about that person over there that doesn't even know they're being talked about. Third person. The King James Bible is extremely accurate in things like that. I was told that, or, or read, that 
when the King James Bible was written in 1611, at that time they had, they had, they had gotten away from those words. So people say, that's Old English. No, it really is not. And when, when the King James Bible was being written, those people who were translating went back to what they didn't even use anymore and pulled it out to put it into King James to make sure it was more accurate. That's pretty cool. All right, there's a, there's a couple more uh, verses. Uh, all the way in chapter 24, it says, Remember what the Lord thy God did unto Miriam, Miriam, when I say Miriam or whatever, my wife gets mad at me. It's not Miriam, it's Miriam. I'm like, okay. And then uh, the last one was 25:17. Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way. I don't know if that's all of the forget not or don't forget and the remember verses, but that's a list of them that go from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 25. So it is a book about don't forget or remember a book of remembrance. We need history. How many historical books are there in the Bible? There's a lot of historical books. The first so many books in the Old Testament up to... I'm trying to remember... So, it would be 17? I think it's the first 17 books of the Old Testament would be historical books. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, in the New Testament, how many historical books are in the New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. They're all about history, pretty much. You could, you could call them historical books. So, if that's correct, that would be 22 books that are history out of 66. That's one-third. So, history is important. Some people say, well, that's in the past. We need to move on. Well, if you forget about the past and you move on with no remembrance, you're going to make the same mistakes that people made back then and you have to go through it all over again. So why not learn from... See, every generation should get better and better. Should. If you have a, a, a person who is a tradesman in something, and then that tradesman's son learns under him. Now, that tradesman may have, have uh, made a lot of mistakes and redone this, redone that, but as time, they, they've gotten better and better at it. And when they become older, they're really, really good. They're an expert. But the little kid that comes along. Now, there's some uh, German Baptist brethren around here that have boys that are 14 years old that can run a skidster loader, a big excavator, better than their dads at that age. Because their dads trained them when they were little. And the dads made all the mistakes and they fixed everything, and now they, the kids won't make those same mistakes if they're wise and take the counsel of their father. So, and it just, every generation, is they're better and better and better at what they do because they learn from each other. We don't have to make the same mistakes that our forefathers did. We don't have to. But we start to forget history, and we end up making those same mistakes again. 
So, a book of remembrance is a great thing to have in our Bibles. So, just think of that. A third of the Bible. History. His story. Get that? His story. That's a cool thing. All right. Uh, in Deuteronomy, you're going to see a major transition. I've mentioned that before. When you get to the fifth book of Moses, you, that's when you start to see something very special happening. It's a transition. It's getting the nation of Israel ready to go into the promised land. God is a God of government, but what could you say after that? If I, if I stand up here and say, God is a God of government... That's it. You could say, nope, God is a God of grace. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, what if I say, God is a God of law? You can say, God is a God of love. I'm like, oh, okay. The word love, if you go to 1 Corinthians and you read the love chapter, if you read it in the King James, you're going to see charity, 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 charity. But in the other versions, it It'll say love, 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 love. But the King James Bible has all kinds of places throughout that says love. L-O-V-E. Do you know how many times the word love, just love, not lovest or loveth, or all, uh, loved. You see, loved is a big word. Uh, Jacob loved Rachel. So, I'm not even going to count those. I'm just counting love. Keep it simple. How many times is the word love in the King James Bible? It's going to be more in a new version because they, they don't use charity. They use love, probably. It's 310 times the word love is used. All right, in these five, I'm telling you that Deuteronomy is a transition book, and that's where you're going to see love start to show up in the Bible. God is a God of law. I said God is a God of law. And you say God is also a God of love. <clears throat> so, out of the first five books of the Bible, that Pentateuch that we're talking about, how many times is the word love in Genesis? The word love in the book of Genesis, do you know? Three. And you've got to get all the way over to chapter 27 before you see it for the first time in our Bible. And I think it has to do with, I'm pretty sure that one is Isaac wanting Esau to, to go kill some venison and cook it for him because he loves that. So that love's not even a good example of love. It's, it's because you want to eat some good meat. But then the second time it's used would probably be Jacob loving his wife, uh, probably, you know, Rachel. And also the second, the third time it's used. How about Exodus? How many times does the book of Exodus have the word love? Now going back to loved, loved, there's more times in Genesis that it's used than three. It's probably more like eight times. But we're... We're just talking about love. 
So in Exodus, you don't want to guess, I'll tell you, two times in Exodus. And if, I don't know if you want the verses. I haven't wrote down here, but it's not, that's not that important. How about Leviticus? How many times in Leviticus is the word love used? Two. Ah, what about numbers? How many times? Anybody else? Huh? Zero? Yeah. You got it. What? Numbers. So no, no love in numbers. Yeah, but uh, the fiery serpents is in numbers, and Balaam, didn't he love his donkey? Evidently not, because there's no love in numbers. Now you get to Deuteronomy, how many times is the word love in Deuteronomy? I'll give you a hint, it's a whole lot more. A whole lot more than the other ones. Huh? What would she say? Seven? Seven. That would be a good guess. Remember I told y'all, if you don't know, if you don't know, say seven. Uh, seven. So she, how many? Seventy-seven. Seventy-seven, whoa. That's way up there. There's, there's no book in the Bible. No book in the Bible has, has it 77 times. None. Thirty-three? <clears throat> good guess. There is a book in the Bible that has it 33 times. And I doubt you'll guess which one it is. But we'll get to that here in a minute. In Deuteronomy, it's there, it's, love is there 16 times. 16. So that's a big jump. But remember, Deuteronomy is a transitional book. Remember the circumcision of the heart? That's in Deuteronomy. That's looking forward to the operation made without hands. So in the Old Testament, there's only two books in the Old Testament that have the word love more times than Deuteronomy. Which two books? That's a love book for sure, Song of Solomon. And it's in, uh, it's in uh, Song of Solomon. And, and what is Song of Solomon? Is it only eight chapters? It's, I don't know how many, but it's not many. Psalms. Psalms has it 23 times, but Song of Solomon has it 26 times. How many Psalms are there in the Bible? 150? 150 Psalms, and it's 23 times in all of that. And Song of Solomon is tiny and it has it 26 times. Now, what about the New Testament? There's only two books in the New Testament that has the word love more times than Deuteronomy. Now, there's another book that ties them, and that's Matthew. Matthew has 16, Deuteronomy has 16. But what book of the New Testament has, has it... Uh, or the two that are that are, have more times. What are those two? You you said that you you said thirty three, and I said so. One of those books has thirty three. The other one has twenty two. They're written by the same person. Nope. The same person wrote both books. Huh? The disciple that Jesus loved. 
John. Revelation only has it two times. What? First John does. You know how small First John is? Five chapters. So the, one of the smallest books of the Old Testament, one of the smallest, not the smallest, but one of the smallest books of the Old Testament has love more times than any other. And one of the smallest books of the New Testament, 1 John, 33 times in that little tiny 1 John, five little chapters. And then the... Huh? Say that again. In the, so it's just John and 1 John. The, the Gospel of John has the word love 22 times. And then you would think that the Gospel of John was so much bigger than 1 John. All right, so that same guy, what, did, what else did John write? Huh? Revelation. There's, it's, love is in Revelation twice. 2 John, it's in there four times. And in 3 John, which is one very short chapter, it's one time. So if you add up the Gospel of John, 22, 1 John, 33 times, and then 4, 1, and 2, that comes out to 62 times just from one writer. That's interesting, right? So Deuteronomy has a, a good amount of, of the word love. Think we should read some out of the Bible? 41. This is uh, chapter 1, verse 41 of Deuteronomy. Remember, this is history. Be, uh, Moses reminding this new generation that is, he, they're being prepped to go into the promised land, starting with uh, 41. Then ye answered and said unto me, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight according to all that the Lord our God commanded us. And when ye had girded on every man his weapons of war, ye were ready to go up into the hill. And the Lord said unto me, Say, un say unto them, Go not up, neither fight, for I am not among you, lest ye be smitten before your enemies. Now, they, they, the people had realized that they had messed up, and, and remember, this is he's talking about things that happened in the past, why they wandered for 40 years, and he's reminding that, you know, even when you realize you did wrong, when you decided to change it, you did it under your own ideas, and you, just because God wanted you to do something in the past and you didn't do it, and now you've gone several years, and you make up your mind that, you know what, I'm going to go do what God told me to do 40 years ago or a year ago, uh, it might not be what you're supposed to do now. So you, every single thing you do, even if it's... when it, it, The lesson we learn from this is we don't want to open up, you don't want to give somebody a Bible and they open it up and they're reading about what I preached about this Sunday, this past Sunday about, let's go gather up two goats and we're going to kill one and then we're going to, the other one, we're just going to uh, uh, confess our sins over the other one and let it go because I saw it in the New Testament. And if it's in the Bible, we should do it. Is that going to please God? Nope. 
He's not going to be one bit happy with that. But you could be naive and just read certain part of the Bible and say, this is what we need to do. And do something totally wrong. Going, we need to build a temple and put an altar in there, and we need to gather up some uh, perfect little lambs and shed their blood. Wouldn't that be a horrible thing to do? But you could go to the Bible and say, see, they did it. And it pleased God back then. And we could go do something that is totally against what God wants us to do today. We're not in the Old Covenant anymore. We're not in the dispensation of law. We're in the dispensation of grace because Jesus came, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So Jesus has shed that blood once and for all. So even though these people, they went to go do something that would have pleased God in the past, and he said to Moses, tell them not to do it, and they didn't listen, and they went and did it anyway, and got beat. All right, where was I at? 43. So I spake unto you, and ye would not hear, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord, and went presumptuously up into the hill, and the Amorites, which dwelt in, the, in that mountain, came out against you, and chased you as bees do. Little tiny bees. Why are you afraid of a little tiny bee? Makes me run. Makes me run. And destroyed you in Seir, even unto Hormah. And you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not hearken to your voice, nor give ear unto you. So ye abode in Kadesh many days according unto the days that ye abode there. So they're just, they were just hanging out there for a while, weeping. Chapter 2. Then we turned and took our journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spake unto me, and we compassed Mount Seir many days. And the Lord spake unto me, saying, Ye have compassed this mount long enough, turn you northward. And command thou the people, saying, Ye are, in, ye, ye are to pass through the coast of your brethren, the children of Esau, which, which dwell in Seir, and they shall be afraid of you. Take ye good heed unto yourselves, therefore." But it says, meddle not with them, for I will not give you of their land. So what does meddle, M-E-D-D-L-E? -D -D -E? That's to get in their business. That's to cause frustration. He says, don't do that. Why? Esau was, you know, he was a pretty uh, bad dude. He lived after carnal things. And, but Esau was given something by God. And when God gives something, He protects it, even if they're not good people. If He's given it, it's given. So what you're going to see as we read through chapter 2, you're going to see the descendants of Esau having some protection from God. You're going to see the descendants of Lot, which is Moab and Ammon, not Amorites, but the Ammonites. Mo Moab and Ammon are the two sons that were born to Lot's daughters, his two daughters. 
You remember that story? I don't want to get into the details of it because it's pretty gross. But when they came out of Sodom and Gomorrah, <clears throat> and they were so corrupted by the worldly city that they lived in for all those years, it corrupted their minds. And they did some weird stuff, and Moab and Ammon were born out of that corruption. But Lot was a righteous man in the eyes of God because he believed, and it was accounted to him for righteous like it was Abraham. It's hard for us to read the stories of the Old Testament, and, and, and if we had to make a decision, was Lot good to go or not? And we would, most of us would say, oh, he's, he was lost. But he was actually a believer, but he was, he was what you would call a very backslidden believer. So you're going to see those three groups of people in this chapter that God protects. And the children of Israel, when they went through there, He told them, don't try to take anything from them because I have given this land to them because of Esau, because of Lot, and you can't have it. It gives them instructions. So, so again, the history. Meddle not with them, for I will not give you of their land, no, not so much as a foot breadth. So, yeah, very little. He's not giving you a, a, an inch of it. Because I, because I have given Mount Seir unto Esau for a possession. Ye shall buy meat of them for money, that ye may eat, and ye shall also buy water of them for money, that ye may drink. For the Lord thy God hath blessed thee in all the works of thy hand. He knoweth thy walking through with this great wilderness." These forty years the Lord thy God hath been with thee, thou hast lacked nothing. And when we passed by from our brethren, the children of Esau, which dwelt in Seir, they threw the way of the plain from Elath and from Eziah-Gaber, we, it was Gaber, we turned and passed by the way of the wilderness of Moab. There's Moab. And the Lord said unto me, Distress not the Moabites, neither contend with them in battle, for I will not give thee of their land for a possession, because I have given Ar, or Ar, I don't know if, if that's how you say it or not, unto the children of Lot for a possession. The... Emims dwelt therein in times past, a great people, or a people great, and many and tall as the Anakims. So what he's reminding the nation of Israel is, uh, <clears throat> you know these uh, Moabites that you're not to mingle with, you're never to take any of their women to be wives? even though there was a very famous one woman who came out of the Moabites that did marry into the Israel nation, Ruth. But they were not to do that because of the corruption that was in that, those people. So as, as bad as they were, they possessed this land even though there was giants there. You're going to see that when we get down to the people of Ammon and there was giants in their land too, but yet they possessed it anyway. So what is that doing? What is, by mentioning this, what is, what is he doing? 
Why, did, why, why have they been wandering in the desert for 40 years and not gone in and possessed a land? They were scared of giants. Now, he's kind of rubbing it in their face here. I mean, he's like, uh, these people that don't even have the blessing you have and the protection you have, they've defeated giants and possessed land, but you are too scared to. That's pretty pitiful. 11, which also were accounted giants as the Anakims, but the Moabites called them Emims. The Horims also dwelt in Seir before time, but the children of Esau succeeded them when they had destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their stead as Israel did unto the land of his possession, which the Lord gave unto them. Now rise up, said I, and get you over the brook Zered. And we went over the brook Zered, and the space in which we came from Kadesh Barnea until we were come over the brook Zered was thirty and eight years, until all the generation of the men of war were wasted out from among the hosts, as the Lord sware unto them. For indeed the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from among the host until they were consumed. So it came to pass when all the men of war were consumed and dead from among the people that the Lord spake unto me, saying, Thou art to pass over through Ar. I say Ar because I, know, I pronounce the, the Ai when I get over into the promised land. There's a little city called, I call it Ai. So that's what I'm doing here. A-R, I don't know if it's R or A-R, the, uh, the coast of Moab this day. And when thou comest nigh over against the children of Ammon, distress them not, nor meddle with them, for I will not give thee of the land of the children of Ammon any possession, because I have given it unto the children of Lot for a possession. That also was accounted a land of giants. Giants dwelt therein in old time, and the Ammonites called them Zamzumims. So each different nation, they had different names that they used for the giants. A people great and many and tall as the Anakims, but the Lord destroyed them before them and they succeeded them and dwelt in their stead as he did to the children of Esau which dwelt in Seir uh, when he destroyed the Horems from before them and they succeeded them and dwelt in their stead even unto this day. Now, you really, as we go through these first three chapters, I mean, we're, we're going to get, we're close to finishing up chapter 2. And there's a whole lot in these chapters. You really can't get a whole lot of cool stuff to preach on. But it's just bits and pieces that you'll get out of it. And that's why you don't hear a whole lot of sermons out of Deuteronomy. There's some good ones that you can get out of Deuteronomy. There's some really good ones you can get out of Numbers. But, you know, it's not going to be, ooh, ah, this is so awesome. You know, that really touched me. It's just history, some history things. But you can see things in it, like what I just talked about. 
there were giants in the land, but yet God delivered these people who weren't even part of God's people. And we need to, we need to understand that any person who believes on Jesus, they are washed in the blood, they are children of God, you are now in God's family, you have no excuse to be scared of the giants. The big things that you come up against in this world, there's all kinds of things that you are going to come up against that seem like they're just way too big for you to handle, and yes, they are, but you're a child of God. You can defeat those things just like David came in the name of the Lord and he was going to beat Goliath because God was going to give him the victory. That's what gave him the confidence to go out and fight. We all should have that kind of confidence. All of us should. If we are truly born again, we should have that confidence to take on the big evil giants that we come up against. And there's many. There's many giants. So, um, we'll, we'll, I think I stopped at, was it 22? We can stop there, and then we can pick up, and, and might have to assign some readers. Would that be good? Maybe next week? Have somebody that can just read some scripture that uh, would sound a lot better than me reading it. So we can do. We may be able to do that because I would like to read it, read it word for word. I don't really want to skip anything. So we can we can do that if if uh, got any volunteers for that as we go forward. So let's pray, dear Lord. We thank you for your word. And Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit will be with us to show us the meaning of your word, help us to interpret it correctly. And Father, we have so many examples, so many things that we need to remember, things that we are to forget not, remember. And Father, we thank you for your wonderful word. Father, I pray that each and every one of us will have a desire to read it, to meditate on it, to apply it to our lives. And Father, just learn to love your word so that we would know your ways. And Father, anything that we decide to do, whether it just be on a personal level or as a church, as a group, that, Father, we would look to your word and we would pray to you, ask for your blessing on the things that we do. And Father, as we are here tonight, we just want to pray over our little community here. Father, that hearts would be touched and people would be drawn to the house of the Lord. And Father, I am glad that we came into the house of the Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.